For this hour we gather to surrender to the mystery, to release ourselves from the needing to know, from the yearning to have it all already figured out. We make a space for a new breath, a new healing, a new possibility to take root. A new world is possible. We are creating it already, <clears throat> here and now. Come, let us worship together. Hey everybody, I'm Reverend Bob LaValle. So glad to be here with our worship leader, Kristen Satterley. Reverend Angela has taken a well-deserved weekend off. Our tech team today is Arnie Golarud and Chris Paul and the Johnson Jimenez teams, Alex and Erica. We're so glad and grateful for their support. And speaking of support, our music today is provided by Tori Near, who's a congregant who's going to play guitar and sing, and I'm so happy to have her support as well. If you're visiting today, I'd love it, we'd love it if you put your name and location in the chat so we can say hey. And we always like to hear where people are calling in from. And Kristen has a couple of announcements. Good morning. Connection Sundays are back. For the first time since 2019, Connection Sunday is returning to the First Unitarian Courtyard on Sunday, August 28th. But not just that, there will be a virtual Connection Sunday on Sunday, September 11th at 10 a.m. too. Connection Sundays are an opportunity to find your community within our larger church community. You can visit participating church groups at tables or in breakout rooms to find out more about what they do and sign up to participate. This is the one time of the year you can sign up for covenant groups too, so be sure to mark your calendar for those dates. Thank you to everyone who has donated so far to this year's social justice auction. Do you have something to contribute from your stock of stuff at home? It's not too late to donate. The deadline is August 21st. You can download a donation form from the website, which is linked in the chat. While you're there, be sure to buy your tickets for this great fundraising event. Is this a leadership moment? <laughs> okay. Hi, I'm Mia Norin. I'm the Director of Religious Education here at First Unitarian. And I'm sharing a leadership moment with you this morning. I'm so happy to be here to share this with you because this is a story about all ages. I'm here to invite you to take a big step forward into one of the goals of First Unitarian's five-year strategic plan. This single action will help set into motion many other pieces of the plan. But first, our children are learning about the UU principles this year. What do you see when you think about how those principles are taught? How do you feel if you think about yourself in that room? <laughs> in our religious education programs for children and youth, there are no tests, no reciting. We aren't even teaching the principles. We are exploring how the covenants of our principles are lived together. This is what Unitarian Universalists excel at, exploration and meaning making. 
there's friendship and relationship. We sing together. We light a chalice and share with each other about our thorns and roses, the joys and concerns of our children and youth. In our elementary group, we listen to someone read a story, and then we talk about that. And then we play. Many activities are set up to choose from. We may choose to explore the theme further or play something else, but the main point is we aren't doing that alone. We're building a community together, children and adults. If you were there, if you are in that room, you will get to know children. But, and this is even more important, they will get to know you. Think back to your own childhood and adolescence and remember a time when an adult, someone not a part of your family, really noticed you. What did that feel like? Maybe it was a teacher or a coach. Maybe it was a choir director or a minister. It could have been a youth advisor in your church. Youth are building relationship right now, building strong ties that started with the mid-high Our Whole Lives class this spring. And then this July, our UU Kids Camp returned to the Sacramento Mountains and children and youth returned transformed. So did the adults that went with them. They were all in community together, not separated into age groups. Important relationships and connections are being formed right now, and we invite you to join us. Adults engage with our youth as youth advisors. Recall that when those relationships are in place, when you know youth and they know you, youth connection to the church and its programs will grow naturally. What is more likely to succeed? Inviting a youth who doesn't know you into your social justice work or inviting a youth you have spent time getting to know, have had experiences and deep conversations with into your work. One who already knows how important this work is to you, to the church and our mission. While all religious education programs are held from 10 to 10.45 this September, no volunteer will have to miss a service when serving. Families will be able to attend church service together. We will grow the strength of our congregation by weaving all ages into all we do to support each other at each stage of our lives. Picture yourself coming to a service and greeting a child or a youth you've spent time with someone you've gotten to know. You each have an important relationship that is specifically yours and that young person's. That relationship gives you and that young person a feeling of belonging to this church community in multiple ways. In this church, we already do religious education for all ages. We already build community. Let's build even better community together that binds you and our children, youth, and other adults together. Since February, when we reopened the church, many families with youth and children have come to us that aren't already Unitarian Universalists. They are hoping to enter our community to learn if what we have to offer speaks to them 
and then feel that they belong to the whole community. I've written a new curriculum for our elementary children this year called Rainbow Principles. On September 11th, we will begin by learning about what the chalice means for us Unitarian Universalists and continue the month learning about covenant. Ours is a covenantal faith and you will be living out our covenant if you are there. And please don't volunteer to teach. Volunteer to strengthen our community. I'm hosting an elementary leaders and assistance information session next Sunday, the 21st from 10 to 1045. And I hope you'll be there. Come see me and RE council members in the courtyard today to sign up or email me if you are not coming to church in person yet. This program will last all year. Our youth program uses Soul Matters materials, inspiration from our strategic plan, suggestions from youth, and fun to create youth programming together. Our youth programs coordinator, Alana Rodriguez, will host a youth advisor information session from 10 to 1045 on Sunday, August 28th. I hope you will come to that too and find out more about what being a part of our youth program is like. Thank you. If you have a chalice or candle set up at home, please join us as we light our congregational chalice with this thought from Laura Esquivel. Each of us is born with a box of matches inside, but we can't light them all by ourselves. The beginning is now always be you say you've lost a chance the fate brought you defeat but that means nothing you look so sad you've been listening to those who say you missed your chance there's another train there always is maybe the next one is yours get up and I'm aboard another train You say you're done There's no such thing Although you're standing on your own Your own breath is king The beginning is now Don't turn around Regrets of past mistakes will only drain you there's another train There always is Maybe the next one is yours Get up and climb aboard another train We crawl in the dark sometimes and think too much Then we fill our heads with crazy things That only break our hearts and I know you see the earth can do when she's dragging down another load of worrisome fools there's another train there always is maybe the next one is 
chores Get up and climb aboard another train I know it's hard when you feel confused You can crown yourself with fear And you feel you cannot move your building worlds That don't exist Another train, they're always is. Maybe the next one is yours. Get up and climb aboard. There's another train, they're always is. Maybe the next one is yours. Get up and climb aboard. Another train. We are Unitarian Universalists. We are a people of faith with open minds, loving hearts, and helping hands. Lovely song. And I, I have to, I'm moved by Mia's presentation to talk just for a second about religious education. Way back before I was in seminary, I was just a lay person at All Souls in DC. And I taught religious education for pre-K for a couple of years, and it was both hilarious and really edifying. I learned a lot about the congregation and about Unitarian Universalism by doing that process. And one of the things that's really cool about church life, church time, is that church time is different. It's, it's generational. And when we participate in RE, we're really participating in that generational timeline of the church. And uh, if folks want to feel more bonded, more ingrained in the, the fabric of the congregation, religious teaching religious education is a really great way to do that. So check it out if you're on the fence. <clears throat> in the meantime, though, let's turn off the chat for a few moments while we move into a time of meditation and prayer and contemplating our joys and sorrows. And we're going to keep the meditation simple today. I invite you to find that comfortable seat that's comfortable for your body today on August 14th, 2022. Feel yourself being supported by whatever you're in. Feel your hands resting gently in some comfortable spot. And I invite you as you are able and as it's appropriate for your body to think about lifting up the crown of the head as if there's a string attached to the crown of your head and you're drawing up as if you're hanging from that silver thread and it's allowing your spine to lengthen and become become sunflower straight but without stress without effort and again as appropriate for your body you find this posture of being both relaxed and aware relaxed and poised. Take a deep inhalation. Exhale out. And in this relaxed and aware state, we'll sit together in sacred silence for two minutes.
we would love to know, what are you carrying today? We are all invited to bring our full selves into this community where we share our challenges, our triumphs, and our love. This sharing is an act of vulnerability, trust, and generosity that brings us together. Please use the chat box to share first your joys, then your concerns as prompted by the video. If you can't share in the chat, we still want to hear what you hold in your heart. Send an email to caring at uuabq.org. I'm listening, I am listening, Spirit, speak to me. I'm listening, I am listening, Spirit, speak to me. My hands are wide open, eyes are wide open, to see what I may be. I'm listening, I am listening, Spirit, speak to me. I'm listening, I am listening, Spirit, speak to
all these joys and concerns and those joys and concerns held in our hearts unspoken but no less deeply felt all of these we lift up to the great powers of celebration and healing and renewal known by many names let's pray together as a prayerful community we give we give thanks for the folks who participated in the creating theology together workshop yesterday the first of four sessions folks who made themselves vulnerable and who listened deeply may their efforts bring spiritual growth to themselves and to our whole religious community <clears throat> we pray for the victims of sectarian violence may we find more power and comfort in our similarities and shared humanity and in our differences. As we seek to widen the circle of this religious community, let us pray using the words of Claudio Cavallas. O spirit of transformation, use us to embody love in the world. May broken hearts be embraced by our love. May grieving mothers find us willing to share their tears. May lonely elders find our community attentive. May despairing teens feel encouraged by our support. May displaced migrants be welcomed in the safety here. May unemployed workers find connections to stable work. O oh, Spirit, empower us to uphold the vulnerable through our prayers and our actions. Enable us to live into our deepest, deepest longings for us and for this precious world. And may we all be held in the heart of love. Peace be with you. Mm -hmm. I am light, I am light.
我来，与我来，与我来。You are not the color of your eyes. You are not the skin on the outside. You are not your age. You are not your age. Your soul inside is all life. You are life. You are life. You are life. You are divinity defined. You are God on the inside. You are made of stars, keys of it all. You are light. We are light. Our reading this morning is The Guest House by Rumi. This being human is a guest house. Every morning, a new arrival. A joy, a depression, a meanness, some momentary awareness comes as an unexpected visitor. Welcome and entertain them all. Even if they are a crowd of sorrows, who violently sweep your house empty of its furniture, still treat each guest honorably. They may be clearing you out for some new delight. The dark thought, the shame, the malice, meet them at the door laughing and invite them in. Be grateful for whatever comes because each has been sent as a guide from the beyond. Thank you, Kristen. And uh, I neglected to include in the credits for that reading that that is an interpretation of Rumi by Coleman Barks. And he is his social location is uh, being an English professor in the United States. Uh, and he his interpretations may not align with other people's interpretations of the Islamic teachings that Rumi is talking about. So just want to name that. All right. In Tibetan Buddhism, a hungry ghost lives in one of the realms beyond the physical universe. They are shaped like teardrops with tiny mouths and enormous stomachs. <clears throat> Some are described as having mouths the size of a needle's eye and a stomach the size of a mountain. With such small mouths, there's no way they can ever fulfill their hunger. Their constant craving that can never be satisfied is a metaphor for addiction. Folks who've grappled with addiction or watched as a loved one struggled with addiction understand 
how an addiction can be the result of trying to fill that impossibly huge stomach, that empty space that forms in our souls as a result of trauma or loss or capitalism-induced feelings of inadequacy. Hungry Ghosts is also the title of an excellent book about addiction by Dr. Gabor Mate, who has worked in the field for years. It's a great read. And I'll draw from that book for this sermon, as well as the book Recovery by Russell Brand. Today, I want to talk a little bit about addiction and more about recovery. And I need to admit that I don't feel equal to the task. There are folks in this congregation and in every congregation whose lives have been turned upside down by their own addictions and by the addictions of loved ones. That hasn't been my experience, and I want to be humble as I talk about things that other folks here know much more about. As for me, I abused alcohol in the past, and it had some consequences on my life. But mostly through luck and my social location, I avoided, avoided a total catastrophe, and it's not an issue for me anymore. I managed a homeless shelter where I had a front row seat to the lives of addicts, and I worked as a chaplain in the substance abuse ward at the VA hospital in New York City. And I covered the emergency room at a hospital in a working class neighborhood of Buffalo, and I talked to people in incredible pain and danger. And I'm trained in administering Narcan, which is the antidote that can be used to reverse an overdose, and I carry Narcan in my bag with me everywhere I go. And, and here's a cool fact. They have Narcan at most of the public libraries in Albuquerque. Isn't that neat? But for all that, I'm still an amateur. So I offer my thoughts, and I hope that they may be useful. No one will be shocked to hear that addiction takes a terrible toll on New Mexico. There's a great series of articles online on the New Mexico In-Depth website. That's New Mexico In-Depth website. It's called Blind Drug, the series. It's a seven-part series, and it's about the impact of alcohol on the state. And I want to share the first couple paragraphs from the series. It goes, alcohol kills New Mexicans at a higher rate than anywhere else in the country, and no one can fully explain why. New Mexicans die of alcohol-related causes at nearly three times the national average, higher by far than any other state. Alcohol is involved in more deaths than fentanyl, heroin, and methamphetamines combined. In 2020, it killed more New Mexicans under 65 than COVID-19 did in the first year of the pandemic, all told 1,878 people. This outsized harm defies easy explanation. Alcohol kills people in New Mexico at higher rates than in states that are poorer, states where more people drink, and states where drinkers drink more. Our risk behaviors do not line up with our deaths, said Michael Landon, New Mexico State Epidemiologist from 2012 to 2020. It's the end of the quote from the article, but I highly recommend reading it to see a part of the state that doesn't really get considered. We as a state need to talk about addiction. Now, there are a lot of definitions of addiction. One I like, one I like is addiction is when we do something to feel better and that thing we do starts to become self-destructive 
whether it's smoking a joint or buying shoes. It's a good definition. People experience addiction, though, in a wild variety of ways. They get addicted to a wild variety of things, from drugs and alcohol to shopping and gambling and sex to the one addiction that is actively supported by our society. They get addicted to overworking. There are folks who argue that we all struggle with addiction, that we're all addicts. I don't know about that, but I do think there are ways that our society is addicted and as a part of society, we're in that addiction. Our society is addicted to hierarchy, to assigning everyone and everything a place on a scale of worth. Straight white men are at the top. The planet, our environment, and home is at the bottom. And we each are individually caught up in that addiction. There's one thing I want to make clear for, that I want to make extremely clear for, and for all my talk about being an amateur, I am sure about this. Addiction is not a character flaw. Addiction is a disease. Addiction is a disease with physical, emotional, and spiritual components. When I was a chaplain, the worst argument I had with any of the other chaplains at my old job was with an, a chaplain who thought that addicts were just being weak. Well, some of the strongest people I know are addicts, and they are strong even when they relapse. And as a side note, that chaplain got fired for inappropriate internet use. <clears throat> and this is not very ministerial of me, but I did smile when I heard that. But I really do have to have compassion for him, too. Maybe he had an addiction to porn. And perhaps if he understood addiction as a disease instead of as a feeling, a failing, he might have been more willing to be honest with himself and get help. So poor guy. Finally, addiction is a family disease. Just like when a person goes to jail, their whole family goes with them. When a person is addicted, their family is joined with them in ways that impact generations. And churches work the same way. I've been talking to a church who lost a minister to alcoholism. More than a decade later, they're still wondering if there was something that they could have done differently as a church. Ten years later. So let's talk about recovery. And I want to take a little time to talk about Alcoholics Anonymous and the 12 steps. Now, AA is only one way of finding recovery. And research shows it doesn't work for most people. It does work for some people. But I personally find a lot of useful things within the 12 steps. Now, part of this problem that some folks have with the 12 steps is that the language is dated. And this makes sense because the steps were formed in the 30s and 40s, and they reflect the sensibilities of that time. But other folks have attempted to update them to make the language work in 2019 and to apply much more broadly to a larger group of people grappling with a larger variety of conditions. And I, I want to share one version that I think is really successful, and it's by Russell Brand, who is a British actor, he's a comedian and a writer, he's a person in recovery. Uh, I used to actually consider him kind of a lightweight, but I've come to find his spiritual work to be serious and really insightful. So I'm going to read the 12 steps, first the original version, and then Russell Brand's version. I need to share one thing about Russell Brand. He's very authentic, and he's very irreverent, 
which also means that he swears a lot. So in this version, I'm going to use the word screwed, but he uses a four-letter word that I bet you could imagine. It's just not suitable for the pulpit. <laughs> so here's the 12 steps in the original language and then in Russell Brands. So the original language of step number one, we admitted we were powerless over alcohol, that our lives had become unmanageable. Russell Brand's version, are you a bit screwed? Step number two, original language. We came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Russell Brand, could you not be screwed? Step number three, original language. We made a decision to turn our will, our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Russell Brandt, are you on your own going to unscrew yourself? Step number four, we made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Russell Brandt, write down all the things that are screwing you up or have ever screwed you up and don't lie or leave anything out. Step number five, we admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Russell Brand, honestly tell someone trustworthy how screwed you are. Step number six, we were entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Russell Brand, well, that's re revealed a lot of screwed up patterns. Do you want to stop it? Seriously? Step number seven, we humbly ask him to remove our shortcomings. Russell Brand, are you willing to live in a new way that's not all about you and your previous screwed up stuff? You have to. Step number eight, we made a list of all people, all persons we have harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Russell Brand, Prepare to apologize to everyone for everything affected by your being so screwed up. Step number nine. We made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Russell Brand. Now apologize, unless that would make matters worse. Number 10. We continued to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Russell Brand, watch out for screwed up thinking and behavior and be honest when it happens. Number 11, we sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for the knowledge of his will for us and the power to carve that out, carry that out. Russell Brand, stay connected to your new perspective. And finally, step 12, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to alcoholics and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Russell Brand, look at life less selfishly, be nice to everyone, help people if we can. There is a lot there. Each of those steps could be 30 sermons, I think, and I'm just going to leave those there for now. But what I want to do next 
is point to a few spiritual practices that many folks in successful recovery find helpful. And I want to explore how we as Unitarian Universalists might use these spiritual practices to help us to be resilient and perhaps to find healing for whatever ails us. When I think about recovery, I sometimes think about the Odyssey by Homer. So in that in the Odyssey, Odysseus was returning home from the Trojan War with his crew when they accidentally sailed within hearing distance of the sirens. The sirens were half women, half birds, who sang so sweetly that anyone who heard them couldn't resist staying and listening and doing nothing else until they died. Odysseus had been warned of the sirens ahead of the time, so he had his crew put wax in their ears. And then he had his crew tie him to the mast and agree not to untie him until they were out of earshot. When I consider the strength of the person in recovery, I wonder what metaphorical ropes keep them tied to the mast. Unlike Odysseus, the person in recovery always has the option to untie the ropes that keep them safe. And that is perilous. My therapist is fond of telling me that people with addictions won't give up doing what makes them feel better until they find something else that's more effective at making them feel better. Given the power of addictive behaviors, the substitutes need to be truly compelling. So I'm not surprised that folks turn to spiritual practices that we know transform lives. So I want to talk about three spiritual practices that any UU can use. Of course, there's many more. The first one is mindfulness. Dr. Gabor Mate talks about the power of compassionate curiosity to give folks a chance to step away from the cycle of self-criticism and shame that just leads to more addiction. The Buddhist teacher Pema Chodron says, in cultivating loving kindness, we learn first to be honest, loving, and compassionate towards ourselves. Rather than nurturing self-denigration, we begin to cultivate a clear-seeing kindness. It's the end of the quote. quote Doesn't clear-seeing kindness sound a lot more appealing than harsh self-judgment? We all could use some of that. When I worked at the VA, uh, the VA I often led patients through the loving-kindness meditation teaching them the mantra, may I be happy, may I be healthy, may I be safe, may I be peaceful. As they repeated these words, I would watch their faces soften and their bodies relax. Powerful medicine. The second spiritual practice is complicated, a complicated one for us Unitarian Universalists. That practice is identifying our higher power and calling on it to support us. Remember step three about turning our lives over to God as we understand it? Well, that language, of course, is dated, and I didn't like especially that that language was gendered. So we Unitarian Universalists are non-credal, meaning that we are free to make our own decisions about the nature of the divine. And I imagine that most of us can agree about the God that we don't believe in, that's the bearded old white dude who helps us win football games and wars if we're a sufficiently honest team. Good riddance for getting rid of that idea. But that still leaves a universe of possibilities for higher power. When I was a hospital chaplain in a Catholic hospital in a Catholic community, 
I'd ask the patients what kept them going during hard times. And I have to say the overwhelming answer wasn't the church or Jesus. It was family. Family. So family can be a legitimate higher power. It's also going to be problematic for some folks. But for some folks, it can be a legitimate higher power or a ground of being or source of the holy or whatever language resonates with a person. And I like the idea of resonate because I think we're, what we're looking here for, looking, looking for here is both something that works intellectually, but also feels right in a gut way. And I believe that one source of the holy is our relationships. And that takes me to the last of the three spiritual practices, and that is being in community. People in the recovery community sometimes say that the opposite of addiction is connection. The opposite of addiction is connection. The addiction, whatever it is, is a form of separation from the pain, from ourselves, and above all, from our people. Communities can have huge impacts on folks of addiction. Those impacts can be terrible if the community chooses to shame the struggling person. The impact can be life-saving if they choose to support that person. You'll notice that in the original language of the 12 steps, the speaker always used we instead of I. The expectation is that community is essential for health and recovery. And I see that every day in this congregation where people come together for companionship, for service, and to go deeper on their spiritual journeys. Before I wrap this up, I want to make a plug for some good work that's happening in our religious community here at First Unitarian. We have a recovery ministry that offers resources and information to support reflection and transparency and to help those with addictions with their families and their communities along the path to recovery. And they are meeting next Sunday, August 21st. They meet every month. Next, Sunday, next meeting is Sunday, August 21st at 1230. For more information, email recovery at uuabq.org. And I'm going to put that right in the chat recovery at uuabq.org. Addictions present many challenges. Our faith provides strength and comfort with those with, with which to meet those challenges. So I encourage you to check the recovery ministry out. In the meantime, my prayer for all of us is that we all get free of our prisons of addiction, whatever their form. And whether we struggle with addiction or not, may we be mindful. May we seek our individual higher powers. And may we do all these things in community. Amen. Blessed be. It is a blessing to belong to this religious community. We are shaped by its messages and transformed through the inspiration and connection it provides us. And we are also changed when we give of ourselves to sustain this vibrant congregation and the values and organizations it supports. Family Promise of Albuquerque, our Change for the Future recipient for June through August, empowers families in Albuquerque and Rio Rancho 
who are at risk of homelessness or currently experiencing homelessness. Their clients are supported as they achieve sustainable independence through a community-based response. Volunteers from First Unitarian have supported Family Promise for many years. You can make an offering online by clicking on the link that we'll put in the chat box. And if you prefer not to give online, you can simply mail a check to the church and include Change for the Future on the memo line. I gladly walk across the desert with no shoes upon my feet to share with you the last part bread I had to eat. I would swim out to save you in your sea of broken dreams. When all your hopes are sinking, let me show you what love means. Love can build a Every heart could understand the love and only love, the joy in the tribes of man. I would give my heart's desire so everyone might see. The first step is to realize it all begins with you and me. Love can build a generously given is received with gratitude. Thank you on behalf of First Unitarian Church and thank you on behalf of Family Promise, an organization that this church has, has supported for many years with volunteers. We're coming towards the end of our service and we're going to offer a discussion question as we always do, whether you stay for the breakout room or not. And that question is, how has addiction touched on your life? How has addiction 
touched on your life. Before we bring do that, though, let's do our Pachum greeting. So I invite you to move your view into gallery so you can see all the beautiful faces. And if you're comfortable turning your camera on, we'd like to see your face. One hand on your heart, the other hand, reaching out to your community, which may be on a computer screen, but is no less real. Blessed be. Let's extinguish our chalices here and at home. May we be mindful. May we seek our individual higher powers. And may we do all these things in community. Go in peace and practice radical love. <laughs>